Certainly, man. Thank you, Pastor Ricky. Praise team and choir for leading us in that time of worship. Church, if you'll take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. We'll read verses 1 through 3 here in just a moment. Well, we last week we said Merry Christmas. I guess this week we get to say Happy New Year. I always enjoy this time of year. It's um, a lot of reasons to, to be joyous. Obviously, we still celebrate not just the birth, but the birth, life, death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are truly grateful for the salvation that comes to us simply because of who Christ is and what he has chosen to give to us. We celebrate our Savior each and every day. I also love this time of year because it's a, it's a time for us, as I like to say, a time for us to reflect, a time for us as believers to, in a sense, to refocus. I love this time of year because it's marked with good football. Any football fans out there? I hear go Tigers, I hear who dat, right? I like to say War Eagle, but you know, that's all right. I'll say go Tigers right now. Man, it's, it's, a, it's a time that is marked with just excitement. It's a time that's marked with some really good, really good sports right now. You think about the, the, the playoffs here for college football. What an impressive game by the LSU Tigers. I have to say, I, I believe that, that they'll take it all the way. I'm going to cheer for our LSU Tigers. I'll be an LSU Tiger for at least a week. Uh, I'm excited for them. Our Saints, beloved Saints, they're in the playoffs. We know that for sure. Hopefully we can get some, some home field, dome field advantage. It's a, it's a time for us to, to, to enjoy a good time of sports. You know what I love about the college football playoffs, though, or at least for the college bowl season, is it's, it's a time for our college teams, like my team, the Auburn Tigers. It, it's a time for them, yes, to maybe for a brief moment look back at the season that they had. We had some, some impressive wins. We had some disappointing losses. But more importantly, bowl season is all about what? It's about looking money. Yeah, it's about money, that's for sure. But it's about looking ahead. And a lot of these college football games, a lot of these bowl games right now, you're going to see the, the senior quarterback maybe take his last snap or two, and maybe in the last quarter you'll see the new guy step on the field, right? Because they're looking ahead. They're looking to the future. College bowl games are not about just looking back because who cares about what this season has held to this point? Even for the LSU Tigers, they better not be looking back too long, right? They better look ahead. You got to look forward. You got to look to what's next. And, and that's what we see happening in this time of year. The new year also provides us as believers the opportunity really to, to refocus, to reflect, to, to think about what this year has held. But, but more importantly, it gives us an opportunity to look forward. It serves as a time to refocus. When I read the book of Hebrews, I have to believe that the author of Hebrews was a sports fan and that, and that there's a really good chance, not only was he a sports fan, but he, but he probably had a good chance. He, he wrote this during a, a time of reflection, much like the new year. If you will, take your copy of God's Word and stand in honor of reading God's Word. Hebrews chapter 12, just three verses. I'll stand you just for a few moments. Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 3. Therefore... 
since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself so that you won't grow weary and give up. Gracious, loving Father, I ask that as we dig into your word this morning that you, Lord Jesus, would help us to, to reflect, to think about your goodness, to think about your blessings in our life. But Lord, I pray that also as believers here this morning that you would help us to, to look forward to to what you have laid before us. Lord, I pray that you would help us as believers to live faithfully. I pray that you would help us as believers to live as witnesses. Lord, I pray that you would help us as believers to, to stay focused on Christ and Christ alone this year and in the years ahead. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here this morning who's never looked to Christ for salvation, that today would be the day they surrender their hearts to you. Lord, help us this morning to refocus so that we might draw closer to you as you draw near to us. And I ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Four truths in this text that are really, I, help, I believe, help us to, to refocus on, on what this passage is, is all about. Four, four truths about, about this text that will help us to refocus and reprioritize our own lives as we prepare for this new year. And as Pastor Rick reminded us, as we prepare for this new decade that we're entering into. Four reasons, four truths that really help us to refocus. What, what are these Truths. Well, the first one is, is to simply do this, to, to look back. Say, what? I, I, I thought as believers we were always taught to, to look forward, to keep our eyes ahead. And, and yes, there's truth to that, and we're going we're gonna to see that in this passage. But, but there is a point in our lives as believers that for a moment, indeed, we are actually called to, to look back, to, as the word probably means, to, to glimpse back. Where do we see it? I'm glad that you asked. Look at verse 1. It says, Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us. Now, as I was growing up, my pastor taught me years ago, and I still like to use it. I know it's kind of cliche. It's a, maybe one of those corner preach, corny preacher, preacher jokes, but, but I still live by it because there's a lot of truth in it. Whenever you see a therefore in the Scriptures, you should always ask what? What's it there for? Anytime you see a therefore in the Bible, believe me, in the original language, it's there for a reason. And in this instance, it is actually helping us to look back at what has previously been stated. Hebrews chapter 11, we sometimes call Hebrews chapter 11 what? The hall of faith. The hall of faith. And in Hebrews chapter 11, we see some incredible truths in the scriptures that, are, that, are, that the people of God are reminded to, to look back at, at those who've gone before us, to look back at God's faithfulness amongst his people. You remember in Hebrews chapter 11, right? Constantly the author of Hebrews continues to say, by faith, by faith, by, by faith. 
Well, look, just keep your hand there in Hebrews 12 and flip back to Hebrews chapter 11. We're not going to read the whole passage. I'm just going to kind of skim through it. Look, look back at Hebrews chapter 11 and, and see, see some of the, the amazing stories that the believers of God are reminded of. By faith, Abel offered God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he could not see death. By faith, Noah constructed an ark as commanded by God. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to leave his homeland. By faith, Sarah received the ability to conceive. By faith, Abraham passed the test of offering up his son Isaac as a sacrifice. By faith, Moses led the people out of, the, out of Egypt. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down. Over and over again, many other stories. By faith, God's people saw him do amazing things through them. Hear me, church. As we approach the new year, this gives us an opportunity to look around and to remember. You see, in Hebrews 12, verse 1, where, where we see that these people who've gone before us and the people who are here before us are, are witnesses. They're, they're those who are, who are attesting to the faithfulness of God. Now, now notice what this passage says here. These, these people, they're witnesses, not, not in the sense that they're mere spectators of a sporting event. Now, the author of Hebrews kind of uses that, that picture, that analogy, but these are not spectators. These are not, some, are not people who are just sitting in the stands, in a sense, watching us stumble through life. The, the word for witness here is someone who's gone before, someone who's attesting to. These witnesses are, are not watching what we're doing, but rather they bear witness to us that God will see us through. These are are people who in the, are in the hall of faith. These are, are people that God blessed. These are people that God used. These are people that God showed his faithfulness in and through. I know, again, it's, there's, I don't know of a good illustration, but it, it'd be like this. It'd be like going to a Saints game this afternoon, here in just a little bit. No, you were like, hurry, get done preaching, preacher, because we've got to watch our saints. Well, it'd be a lot like it'd be a lot like us showing up. Well, I don't, I couldn't because the illustration would be this: instead of going to a Saints game and having just a bunch of couch quarterbacks in the stands, it, it would be it would be the, in effect all the Saints players from years past, all the coaches, every Saints player that's ever stepped foot on the field. It'd be like them in the stadium. People who've lived it, people who know it, people who've tasted it, people, people who've experienced it. It, it, it. They'd be those people who not only are watching, but more importantly, they can speak into. I've been there. I've seen that. I've experienced it. I, I know what it's like. See, these are people who've gone before, who've, in a sense, have experienced God's grace. And now they're witnesses to, they attest to the faithfulness of God. You see, I want you to do me a favor. Just look around the room for a moment. Don't look at the building. Look at the church. Look at the people next to you. This, this is an opportunity for us as we see here 
And in Hebrews chapter 11, God bore witness to these faithful saints, and now they bear witness to us. It's much like us getting an opportunity to reflect on those who've gone before us. Can I say it this way, young believer? Look to those who've gone before you. Respect them. Honor them. Listen to them. Thank them. Think about the people who've gone before you and, and, and think about the lives that they've lived and think about the faithfulness that they showed even, even in the midst of maybe some trying and difficult times. Remember who've gone before you. More importantly, look back to, the, to those in the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. Look back to, the, to God's faithfulness through his people and in his word and, 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 and be grateful for, for those who've gone before us. Older generation. Notice I didn't say old people. Older saints, when you look around the room, can I ask you not to sit there and, and to look at and judge the younger generation? As a guy who's 41, almost 42, I kind of find myself, I don't know, right in the middle somewhere. As a guy who's sitting in that place, I've been blessed beyond measure with faithful, godly grandparents, faithful, godly parents, faithful men who have been mentors in my life who, as, as I answered a call to ministry, they said, look, I know you're young and yes, you're dumb. You've done some stupid things, but, but here, come with me. Let me take you under my wing. I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to speak down to you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring you alongside me and I'm going to mentor you and I'm going to shepherd you and I'm going to lead you and I'm going to guide you. Hear me. That's not just a call to pastors in the room. Older saints, will you look around the room and find someone that you'll be willing to pour your life into over the next year? Will you open up your home, open up your dinner table, open up your life? Say, I got a lot of skeletons in my life. This might give you a good reason to air that out. Good reason to clean those closets out. Will you, will you share life with the younger generation? Will you commit to, to reach out to them and, and open, up, open up your home and, and, and mentor them and shepherd them and guide them? You see, the passage here teaches us that, that really for, for a moment. The word here says, since it's therefore, we, we had this idea of looking back. I, I like to say, really, we glimpse back. We, we, look at, we look at those who've gone before us. We look at those who are around us. And, 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 we, and for, for a brief moment, we remember where we've been. But then we don't stop. In order for us to refocus, we can't just look back. Hear me, church. What the passage teaches us is that, is that after we look back just for a moment, then, then here's a second truth. And what is that? We're to lay aside. Look at the verse again. Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and sin that so easily ensnares us. You know, athletes, really, since sports was around, have used weights on their body or on their instruments in order to prepare their bodies for the event that they were about to participate in. 
They, athletes who were running triathletes and, and marathons forever and ever, they, they would wear ankle weights. They would wear weights in different ways as they prepared for, for the event. As they prepared, they, they would weigh themselves down so that, so that it, would, it would give them an opportunity to build strength and, and stamina. And then when they would make it to the event, what would they do? They take the weights off, right? No, no good athlete is going to compete in the actual event wearing weights. I'm going to ask my little assistant, Samuel, will you bring me this? I've tried to figure out a way to, to do, really to help us analyze this truth. Thank you, bud. I, I know we're celebrating football right now, but soon that, that sport's going to be over for a little while, and we're going to get to a real sport. No, I like football. Don't get me wrong. But I've always been a baseball fan. I love to play baseball. You know, this, this is just a, a, an analogy, okay? You see, the text teaches us that we're, we're to lay aside everything that, that easily ensnares us, that easily entangles us. Modern analogy would be like a baseball player who walks up to the plate and uses a bat like this and keeps the weight on the bat to hit the ball. All major leaders do that, right? No. Don't do that. Make sure I don't hit any of your equipment here, Pastor Ricky. Right? Before they get up to the plate, they start swinging. Just swing the bat, right? Just loosen it up. Once, once they get loose, before they walk up to the plate, what do they do? Now, why would we do something like that? It makes the swing a lot easier, Right? We're removing hindrances. What are, what are some hindrances? What are, what are some things that we as believers should remove from our lives? What should we lay aside? Well, the passage says here clearly, obviously, there's sin. Right? Sin. Now, I could sit here all day and start listing sins. Lying, cheating, stealing, lust, sex outside of marriage, pornography, Right, I could just I could go on and on and on. I, I could list sin after sin, and I don't know what your sin is in your life. I, I don't know what you might continue to struggle with. But hear me, what the passage teaches us is that obviously all of those sins we should lay them aside. But you know the passage doesn't talk about just sin. Clearly, what the scripture teaches is that we should lay aside anything that ensnares us, that entangles us. Hear me, let me say it this way. Even the things that might be seemingly good, even in the outside in the world, and in the outside world, they, they look at it and say, well, there's nothing wrong. Maybe even inside the church, we look at it and say, well, there's nothing wrong with that. That's that's something good. This, the sins that I can list are pretty obvious. I don't know what your sins are, but we get to something like this. Okay, what, do you, what in the world are you talking about? So let me just use an example in my own life. Can I do that? That way if I offend anybody, it'll offend, it'll offend myself. One of the things that I teach at the seminary is evangelism. Everybody in the church would say, that's good. I hope you would, right? What would you say? Thank you. I'm glad you would say that's good. Teaching evangelism teaching young ministers, young missionaries to go across the globe and how to clearly articulate the truth of the gospel in order to call people unto salvation, that's a good thing. But don't hear me pat myself on the back. Because as good as that is, I could teach anyone and everyone in this room how to share the gospel. 
But if I'm not doing it myself, as good as it is, it's not good enough. Right? Don't, don't worry about offending me. You can say right. I know that's truth. So here's the better example. Not only did we knock the weights off the bat, because that's clear that's going to that's gonna cause a problem. Hey, Sam, I need your help. Now, things are getting a little more serious. We start removing all hindrances. Let me make sure I'm clear because I'm about to swing hard. Right? Now, now we can get ready. Now, now there's no restrictions. Now when the ball comes, we, 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 can, we can perform the way God has called us to perform. We remove all hindrances. Clearly, we remove the sin. Clearly, we ask God for the strength to fight the sin that we can fight. We ask God to, to help us to run from the sin that we need to run from. That, that's clear. But in the life of the believer, we ask God to remove anything that's entangling us, anything that's preventing us from being fully faithful. Speaking of evangelism, let me give one just to the church here. Not only do I teach it in the seminary, but I've, te- I've taught how to share the gospel in a lot of churches. At a church that will remain nameless at the moment. Because some of you here probably would know who it is. I did an evangelism training not too long ago and had someone come up to me after the evangelism training. And, and one of the things that we talked about in order to truly effectively share the gospel to the ends of the earth, we talked about giving we talked about faithfulness and giving of our, of our monies and our times and our talent, right? To, to do anything we could to share the gospel to the ends of the earth. I had someone come up to me and say, Pastor, or they might call me preacher, I don't remember. Preacher, you know, you talked about that giving thing. That's what I do. That's how I witness. I give. I give to Lottie Moon. I give to... To, I give to these offerings, and, 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 and that, that's, that's my faithfulness when it comes to sharing the gospel. I, I give so that you and others might be able to share the gospel. Hear me. I'll say it loud and clear. We need everyone in this room to give and to give more to the advancement of the gospel. That is good. But what's right What is faithful is not just giving so that those who are quote-unquote paid to do it can go share the gospel. What God calls of us is for each and every one of us to give and to go and proclaim the good news of the gospel. that's, that's That's the idea here. The scriptures tell us that we are to remove anything that easily entangles us, anything that easily ensnares us, even if it's seemingly good. We shouldn't be looking and picking and choosing, is this good or is this bad or can I keep this? Can I? Here's the question we should ask. And what I'm doing right now, and in, in everything that I think, and everything that I say, and everything that I do, am I bringing absolute, ultimate, complete glory to God? 
And if I'm not, then it's obviously something that's ensnaring me. It's obviously something that's entangling me. So what do we do? We rid ourselves of it. This is a challenge in the church. Because I believe there's a lot of traditions in the church. Can I just say it? And I'm not talking about just First Baptist New Orleans. I think there are a lot of traditions in the church that we still hold on to. And a lot of times you ask people, why, why do you do that? I don't know. We do it because we've always done it. Is it helping us complete the mission? Is it helping us complete and fulfill the great commission? Is it helping us bring people to Jesus and help them become more like Jesus? Is it helping us make disciples? If the answer is yes, then absolutely keep doing it. Put your shoulder into it. Keep running that race. If it's not, church, we're wasting our times and we're fooling ourselves. And we're getting entangled. We're getting ensnared by something that in and of itself might be good. But it's not helping us fulfill the Great Commission. We come back to this passage. The author of Hebrews says, Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance in the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us lay aside anything that's coming between us and what God has called us to in order to live our lives fully for His glory. There's a third truth here. Not only are we called to to look back for a moment and to lay aside. But the third truth here is to let us run. This is actually the main verb in the passage. Pick up there in verse 2 again. Let us lay aside every hindrance and, and, and sin that so easily ensnares us. Excuse me, at the end of verse 1. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us. Let us, let us keep running. Let, let, us, let us run faithfully. Let us run with endurance. The word here literally means steadfast and say a constancy. Can I, let me be clear. I don't always do this, but I want to make sure I do it this morning. The word here in the original language, this word for endurance, it, it carries the idea of an, of an active perseverance involving effort and struggle. Hear me, not a passive patience. In the original language, this idea for endurance, it, it is something that we work towards. It's not something that we sit back and wait on. In our, in our common, in our modern language, when we think of the word endure, sometimes we even say, well, I just, I just had to endure that. What do you mean by that? Oftentimes we mean we just sit back and wait and do nothing. We just suffer through it. We just wait until it passes. That's sometimes what we mean by the word endurance. That's has, that is not at all what the word means here in the original language. In the original language, it is something that we work towards. We are, are constantly putting our hand to the plow. We are working diligently. Again, as we lay aside everything that so easily entangles us and snares us, we're, we're girding ourselves. In the, back in this day and time, the picture that probably came to their mind were people who would run the men would wear long flowing garments oftentimes, and, but in that long robe they would still wear a belt. And as they prepared themselves to run a race, you know what they would do? I didn't wear a robe this morning, so I couldn't illustrate that. I had to use a bat. They, they would take the end of that robe and they would tuck it into their belt. 
When you move over into the early Olympic Games in Greece, you know how they performed their athletic events? Naked. Why, why would they do that? Laying aside everything that, that might entangle. Get rid of all, all obstacles. Remove everything so that you can just sit on the sidelines and wait for the, wait for the end of the race? Is that what they would do? No. They would remove all obstacles so that they could run consistently, constantly, working diligently. Hear me, church. We are called to endure. That does not mean that we sit on our hands in the pews and just wait. That we just see what comes next. And and then as it comes, we're like, oh, what do we do now? Let's sit and wait. Let's talk about it. Let's form a committee and do something. Or not. It's not what the scriptures teach here. What what we do is we actively and faithfully and constantly are, are doing the things that God's called us to do. We work diligently. We run and and we run according to the lace that lies before us. Now, in the original language, some translations even say, some translations worded as, we, we run the race that is set before us by God himself. I think there's truth to that. Even when you find yourself in the midst of the run and the, and the race, and it might be really difficult, right? There, there's a, clearly an obstacle in front of you. There's a hurdle that you've got to jump over. You can't run around it because then you disqualify, right? So you've got to jump over that hurdle. So, so what do you do? What, I, you just run. You just jump with all of your might. If you stumble, what do you do? You get back up. You run. You jump over the next one. The race that is set before us by God himself in his sovereign knowledge has laid the path before us. What this should do is not make us look at God and say, why did you let that happen, God? Better yet, what it should do is help us to keep our eyes on God and say, Lord, thank you for putting this path before me. And I know it's difficult, but because you put it before me, I know that you'll see me to the end. Because you're in control of all things. Because you're the one who's leading and guiding. Because you're the one who has set this path before me. Lord, whatever comes my way, I'm going to live my life for your glory. And even though it might be hard, even though it might be difficult, I know that you will see me through. Because you're the one who put the track in my way. So we run. We run with endurance. We run with steadfastness. We don't sit back and wait. We just keep running. Maybe this past year for you has been really difficult. Can I get a witness? Maybe it's been hard. Maybe, maybe some things didn't go the way that you thought that it would go. Can I encourage you? Run with endurance. Just keep running. Because God put that path before you ultimately to show his goodness, to show his faithfulness, to show his strength, to show his power. Remember that great cloud of witnesses? It wasn't about them. They're witnesses. They're attesting to the faithfulness of God. And they're saying, hey, it's okay. You can do it. You, you can do it because God's going to do it through you. Just keep running. Just keep running. Keep working. Keep striving. How can we do that? 
how is it possible to keep running even though it's difficult? Well, again, I tell you that leads us to the fourth and final truth. Here's what we're called to do. Look back just for a moment. Lay aside everything that easily ensnares us and entangles us. And, and then let us just run. Let, let's just, just run. Run the race. Keep running. Let's run. All while we do what? All while we look to Jesus. All while we look ahead and see him as the goal. Let us look, fix our eyes to Jesus. Look at verses 2 and 3. Keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith, for the joy that lay before him. He endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, so that you won't grow weary and give up. As the church, we're called to look to Jesus. Why? Because he is the source. He's the author. He's the, literally the word means, he's the founder of our faith. See, looking to Jesus is what brings salvation because the idea of looking here means to trust in. To look to means to trust. I'm going to fix my eyes on Jesus because I know that it's, it is through him and, and because of him and by him and for him that alone comes salvation, alone comes my joy, alone comes the, the ability to endure anyways. We fix our eyes on Jesus because he is the one who gave us the faith that saves us from the very beginning. One commentator, Warren Wiersbe, said this, When the dying Jews looked to the uplifted servant, serpent, they were healed. This is an illustration of our salvation through faith in Christ, referencing a passage in Numbers. We actually talked about it this past Sunday in our Sunday school class. I thought it was interesting as I was studying this week making that reference to what was happening in the camp and the Israelites in Numbers as they looked to the serpent on, that was placed, the bronze serpent on the pole after they had been bitten by a serpent themselves that, that it was by looking and gazing at that serpent that God would bring ultimately his salvation, his healing power. A, a, a foretelling, a a foreshadowing of that now as believers, if we'll just look to Jesus, if we'll cast our gaze upon him, if literally the word means if we'll, if we'll place our trust in the one that we look to, we'll find salvation in Christ. He is the author. He is the founder. He is the source of our faith and salvation. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted in Jesus, can I tell you, you're going to continue to struggle through life. I mean, heck, we as believers, we know just because we look to Jesus still means sometimes we're going to, in fact, read the rest of the Bible, we should sometimes expect even more so to struggle through life because of persecution. But, but we can be faithful because we look to the one who gave us our faith in the, in the first place. If you're here this morning, you've never trusted in Christ, hear me. Today is the day to cast your eyes upon him, to trust him because he is the one who will bring you into a right relationship with the God of the universe. It only will come if you place your faith in Jesus Christ because he is the author of all faith. But hear me, church, where this really applies to us, gives us even more reason to live for his glory. Not only is he the source, the author, but scripture says he is the perfecter of our faith. What does it mean by that? 
David Allen in the New American Commentary, he says this, Jesus is the pioneer or the author and perfecter of our faith in two ways. Hear me, hear, or hear what David Allen says. He is the source of our faith, and when we talk about him being the perfecter, he is the model of our faith. The author of Hebrews points this out here in really three ways in verses 2 and 3. First, you see what the, what the author of Hebrews says. Jesus endured the cross to seize the joy set before him. Have you ever thought about that? The author of Hebrews says that, that Jesus Christ endured the suffering of the cross so that he might seize the joy that was set before him. What? There was joy in the cross? There was joy in suffering? There was joy in pain? There was joy in death? What? Yes. There was joy. Why? Because Jesus was fulfilling the very purpose of God. Jesus was fulfilling the promise of God. Jesus was fulfilling the penal substitutionary atonement of God. Jesus was the one who was coming. And even though he was suffering, even though it would kill him, even though it would bring ultimate pain and sacrifice, he found joy in it. Because he was being faithful to do what God called him to do. Let me say that again because I better get an amen. He was willing to suffer because in the end he found joy in fulfilling what God promised to do. And all God's people said, church, Jesus Christ experienced absolute horrendous suffering so that in the end he could experience victorious joy. You and I benefit from that. That's how he's the perfecter of our faith. If he can suffer through that, then you and I can suffer through anything that comes our way. Not, not only did he, did he suffer and, and find joy in the cross, secondly, you see there in the scripture what the author of Hebrews says, that Jesus despised the shame of the cross. Even though he found joy in the cross, at the same time he despised the shame in the cross. He recognized the humiliation and the, and the public shame that was coming his way. But those threats didn't matter to him when he considered the coming glory. He was willing to experience the shame. Because he knew where it would lead him in the end. Where was that? Well, it tells us third truth here that Jesus sat down at the right hand of the throne of God from the pain and the agony of the cross God exalted Jesus to the position of a throne seated at the right hand the position of authority of privilege hear me church all of this is pointing to this simple truth considering all the hostility directed against Jesus you and I should not grow weary and give up as we run the race. Why? Because he didn't. Because he didn't. Because he was faithful. Because he endured shame. Because he endured pain. Because he, he in the end, found joy in the cross. You and I should be able to find joy in any and every circumstance. 
You and I should be faithful to continue to run the race because He has paved the way for us. So let me ask you this question. What are your eyes fixed on? As we, as we refocus, as we bring our, our eyes back into alignment, what, what are you focused on this year? What have you been looking at this past year? What, what have you given your attention to? What have you been gazing at? What have you been staring at? Is there something that's gotten in your way? Is there something that has entangled you? Is there something that's prevented you from ultimately keeping your eyes on Jesus? Yes, look back for a moment, glimpse back, remember the faithfulness of God. But, but keep your eyes on Jesus, focus on, on the end. I grew up in the woods in Alabama. And what some people consider to be work, and it is work, I consider it to be therapy now because I don't get to do it very often. A couple times a year, I go back home and spend all day on the tractor plowing fields. It's hard work. For me, it's therapy. What I've learned over the years is, no, we don't. There's some there's some amazing technology in tractors today. We we don't do any of that. We don't use GPS or anything like that. But in order to to cut rows straight, you, you know what you have to do. Anybody ever plowed a field? You got to look to the end of the field and you got to put a marker out there somewhere. Because if you don't look ahead and don't keep your eye on the end, you will look back in the end and you'll see your, 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 your rows are going to be all, all jacked up. You have to look back every so often to make sure that the plow's working, make sure that it's, that it's, that it's being faithful, it's doing what it's expected to do. But, but you keep your eyes fixed on something at the end of the field. And you hold steady the, the course that's right before you. How you been plowing this year? You been looking back too much? We're in a time of transition here at the church. It's real easy to constantly look back. I'm not saying it's wrong to remember. But if we keep looking back saying, I wish we could be where we used to be. <laughs> a wreck's about to happen. What, what have you been looking back at? Maybe in your own life you've been looking, have, have, you, have you been focusing too much? Are you weighted down with the things that easily ensnare you? Sin is sin. That's pretty obvious. Are you dealing with sin this year, this past year, that, that it's, it's keeping you, it's preventing you from walking deeply and intimately and rightly with the Lord. Lay it aside. But better yet, what are, what are you keeping your eyes on? Church, can I give you a challenge this year? Commit to keep your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Him. Plow hard, plow straight. Keep going, don't stop. Fix your eyes on Him. Do you have anything that's weighing you down? There's a scripture that I learned very early in my life that I repeat every day of my life. Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. 
lead me in your way. Everlasting. That's a great prayer to commit, to memorize and repeat every day this year. So that we can refocus. Church, here's my challenge. As we refocus on this next year, can I just encourage you, challenge you, motivate you to fix your eyes on Jesus? Because he is the author and the perfecter of our faith. Lay aside anything and everything that easily ensnares you. Yeah, the sin, that's obvious. But even the things that might be seemingly good, if it's, if it's preventing you as an individual, preventing us as a church from moving forward for the glory of God, then let's lay it aside. And let's just commit. Fix our eyes on Jesus and his, his mission this year. Let us, let us commit to doing whatever it takes to fulfill the Great Commission, to lead people to Jesus and help them become more like Jesus, making disciples. Can we commit to that? If we can do that, church, we'll get refocused. Would you pray with me? Gracious, loving Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for your, your amazing grace. We thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for the grace that you extend to each and every one of us. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here this morning who's never trusted in Jesus, I pray that today would be the day they surrender their life to you. Lord, help them to know the truth that you are willing to send your son Jesus to die on the cross for their sins. Even while you, they were sinners, you proved your love by sending your son Christ to die on the cross. Lord, help them to fix their eyes on Jesus for the very first time. For the rest of us, church, for the rest of us as the church, Lord, I pray that you would help us. Lord, to, to yes, reflect for a moment, to look back, to be grateful for what you've done and what you're doing. And then, Lord, help us to lay aside what easily ensnares and entangles us and help us, Lord, just to be faithful, to keep running, to keep moving forward while we fix our eyes on Christ. Pray that for us as individuals as we commit to live our lives for the glory of God this coming year, this coming decade. Lord, help us to be refocused. Pray that as individuals. Lord, also pray that as the church, Lord, especially right now for First Baptist New Orleans. Lord, a church that has had a, an amazing and rich legacy in this city, in this region, in this country. I'm grateful for that. Lord, I pray now that you would help us, even as this local body, Lord, to fix our eyes on you, the author and perfecter of our faith. Help us to run with endurance the race set before us that you have ordained. Help us, Lord, to be faithful so that in the end, you and only you might receive all the glory and honor and praise. And we'll be very careful to give it to you and you alone. And it is the perfect, matchless, precious name of Jesus. We pray and we ask and give you all these things.